0: Welcome to The Jay Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. It's no secret that Asia is home to some of the most dynamic, innovative, and game-changing companies in the world. Join us as we survey the land to find the most profitable investment opportunities that will allow you to capitalize off this next wave of wealth creation. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced with the goal of providing actionable insights with every single episode. And now, onto the show. How are you doing? Very happy to have you. I, I read a lot of your uh, work online and your blog, and uh, I, I like the way that you uh, invest and, uh, and, and what you write uh, about investing uh, with regards to dividends, so uh, we're very happy to have you on.
1: Excellent. Thank you, JM. I'm doing well, and I'm glad to be here.
0: So why don't you give uh, the audience watching a quick introduction of yourself, um,
1: who is Ben Reynolds, and what do you do for a living? Sure. Sure. Um, I'm Ben Reynolds, and uh, I run Sure Dividend, and Sure Dividend is a dividend growth site focused on high-quality dividend growth stocks. Um, specifically, we try to help individual investors build high-quality dividend growth portfolios.
0: Okay, and have you been
1: uh, doing this
0: for a while now, or did you were you working somewhere else beforehand and then just kind of branched
1: off on your own? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been running share Dividend for a little over three years now. And before that, I had some different jobs in non-financial fields. Um, my, my finance background really started in college, where I, I got a degree in uh, finance. And that's where mm. my interest in investing really started.
0: So you've just been a private investor for a while, and you kind of learned the craft yourself, and, uh, and you decided that uh, you wanted to start writing about it,
1: because you believed very strongly in, uh, in your methodology. Exactly. Um, and my methodology has really evolved over time. Um, I've been really interested in investing, just on a personal level, I guess. Um, and I have did a tremendous amount of reading. I've read a lot of different investing books. And that's really where it started for me. Um, it started really with value investing. I was really interested in value investing. Um, and, and then just different market anomalies that are out there. And so that's really where my interest came from and um the more I learned about it I I decided uh I wanted to put my thoughts out there and share them with other people. That's excellent.
0: And do you manage any sort of a uh, fund yourself or is it mostly just your private money that you're you're managing now?
1: N- no, I don't manage a uh, fund or anything. Okay. Cool. Well, um so let's get into it. Uh you know, I mean
0: what you just said, I um I've been an investor for a while myself. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy the craft. And uh, the 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 one thing that I always say, uh, like you mentioned, is um, there's there's many ways to make money in the market. But if you're a first timer starting off, I do always uh, recommend starting from the value camp uh, because I think that that's a very good base foundation for investors to uh, just learn uh, sort of the fundamentals and um, uh, some of the uh, almost pitfalls that a lot of the investors out there in the market uh, fall for. So uh, maybe you could just uh, talk about your journey as an investor and how that led you down to really focusing on uh, dividend stocks.
1: Sure. Well, um, like you were talking about, I started out with value investing. Um, I read the intelligent investor and um, books like that. And I was like, wow, this is this value investing makes sense. You know, you, find something that's worth a dollar and you buy it for 50 cents. I see how that makes sense. Um, and so that was really the start of my investing journey. And I read a lot of the academic literature on how effective value investing is. I mean, it's one of the, the most persistent factors that have outperformed over long periods of time, likely to do so in the future. Um, so I started with value investing and when I was first starting, I made some really silly mistakes like most people do. Um, you know, if a stock has a price range ratio of three, it probably does for a reason. <laughs> <And it's, laughs> it might not be a good investment. Um, so I, you know, I learned, quickly learned a lot more about value investing and the importance of quality in combination with value. And um, really my, my journey as an investor, also I looked at different quantitative strategies and I was interested in momentum investing for a while. And I just really was looking at all the different Ways to invest that are out there that have outperformed the market in some way demonstrably, and I didn't set out to become a dividend growth investor, but I felt that dividend growth investing, and I still feel that dividend growth investing combines um, value investing because you're looking for you know the higher yield the better that's a value characteristic. It combines looking for quality businesses because. You want a, a company that's going to pay you rising dividends year after year, that's got to be a quality business. It combines long term thinking into your investing because again you're you're investing for rising dividends over time. That's not going to happen in three months um, And it also facilitates a focus on the underlying business and not you know I'm trading shares really quickly and i'm I'm going to hope to make a quick buck here So I think it um dividend growth investing really focuses. The investor on what's important in investing
0: i think that's uh you you bring a, a good point and i think that the psychology of investing is is something that's uh you know most people when they first start out they don't actually they might you might read about it uh but you until you experience it for yourself you never really fully grasp the power uh, that psychology has uh, to an individual when they invest and uh, like you said, I mean, I've made in my, I still make mistakes and I still actively recognize the cognitive biases and, and, uh, and, and flaws. Uh, but uh, human emotion is very powerful as well. And so one of the things that you just said about taking a long-term approach, I think that is key for, for any successful investor is, you know, there's investors and there's speculators or traders and, you know, you hear about people want to start investing right away. Um, You know, they've stumbled upon some cash, or maybe they've, uh, even worse, they've saved it, painstakingly saved up their money, uh, and they're looking for a quick win in the market. And that almost always leads to disaster, uh, in my opinion. So um, so let's talk through, um, so like you said, value investing is a very uh, safe way uh, to learn how to invest, sort of bottom up, looking at fundamentals, looking at uh, good companies, taking the view that you're investing in a business, not just trading the shares uh, for a quick buck. Um, and it's almost, it's almost uh, you know, there's, there's sort of these uh, investment scenarios where, um, where, you, where you imagine that if you couldn't have liquidity and you had to just, lock, like, think of it like a PE investment. If you couldn't sell your shares, that kind of puts the whole thing into a pr- different perspective. If you had to hold on to those shares for years, then uh, there is no quick buck, right? So you're going to be a lot more careful about how you screen your investments. So, so uh, let's talk about uh, high growth dividend investing then. So as you went down your path of education, you started with value investing. What led you to focusing in on high growth dividend stocks particularly?
1: Um, well, it was sitting down and looking at the different market anomalies I could find. Uh, and we've talked about value investing Another one is looking for low volatility stocks. And again, most low volatility stocks happen to be dividend growth stocks. Uh, And then looking for shareholder friendly companies because stocks that repurchase a lot of their shares um, also have historically outperformed and that pay rising dividends. And so the companies that have paid rising dividends and repurchase lots of their shares are dividend growth stocks. Um, So what, what led me to dividend growth investing was looking at a lot of different things that have done well and seeing where does that lead like what what type of stocks fit that universe and then I, they were mostly dividend growth stocks um, and that's really when i got very interested in them
0: yeah so it, it's quite interesting because uh when you break down sort of uh how company management uh, can can use their capital or allocate their capital you know i mean there's there's a number of ways they can you know pay dividend they can buy back shares like you mentioned Um, Or pay down debt, uh, or reinvest in businesses, or acquire other businesses, uh, this sort of thing. So a lot of it actually comes down to the the uh, confidence you have in the management that they have the shareholders' best interests uh, in the future. uh, You know, down the long run, in the long run, and and this is uh, sort of an anomaly in Asia because. Uh, stocks here don't necessarily always trade on fundamentals, and we definitely don't have uh, the transparency that that you guys have in the U.S. equity markets. Uh, and we certainly don't have the shareholder friendliness of of management. A lot of times, a lot of the companies are either state-owned, but government-owned, or large family-backed uh, companies. Um, and it's quite strange because they'll they'll come to market and they'll still have this mentality that. Oh, the family still owns the company, even though it's listed on a public exchange, and they don't really care about what the, about the shareholders. So, um, so I do like the the uh, the model that you're after. Maybe you can just break it down for us. I know that you you uh, you wrote like a, a pretty good and concise, uh, articulate piece on sort of eight rules of dividend investing. Is that sort of the framework that you would uh, you would present to a first time? Uh, high growth dividend investor.
1: Um, that's, that's definitely the framework that we use at Share Dividend. Um, the eight rules of dividend investing are the, the ways that we make buy and sell decisions and also how to allocate a portfolio. And, um, the first five rules are all things we look for in a buy. Um, and they're different categories and we, we rank our universe of stocks on those categories. And they're mostly things I've mentioned, um, share repurchases, long history of dividend growth, um, volatility, um, there, but we, we look at these different factors and we basically come up with a score for, for every stock in our universe. And then the higher highest ranked stocks are the ones we recommend as buys. And then we have two sell rules as well. And at share dividend, we try to sell as rarely as possible Mm -hmm. because we're really trying to hold for the long run. So one of our sell rules is just only sell when a stock becomes extremely overvalued. And right now we say that's a price earnings ratio of 40. It's kind of an arbitrary number, but you have to use something arbitrary there. And that really prevents um, selling in most cases. And the second reason we sell is if a company cuts or eliminates its dividend. And that's because if a company is cutting its dividend, it's either it's probably deteriorating. It can't pay a dividend anymore. And that's something that it was probably known for with the companies we're investing in. So it's a good time to get out before it's completely, completely gone. Um, and then finally, we look at uh, just overall portfolio allocation and you, know, you don't wanna have all your eggs in one basket. Don't don't put a hundred percent in an uh, apple and, and then be done. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, we, we look like to make portfolios of around 20 stocks, I think is the, the, the sweet spot that I, I look for, um, 20 to 30. And that way you're, you're still benefiting from each position, but you have a pretty good amount of diversification there.
0: Got it. Do you actually run a model portfolio or is it, um, is it just... Uh, <laughs> I mean, on, I know you, uh, you have a newsletter and this sort of thing, but do you actually run uh, model portfolios for your subscribers?
1: Well, we, we used to have a model portfolio and I actually stopped doing it because it was confusing because there's a portfolio building guide in the newsletter. And when you have a, it, it lays out a very detailed way to build a portfolio. Um, and the reason we do that as opposed to an actual model is because there's sort of a, an issue with a model in that since we're holding for the long run here, say I, I recommended a stock as a buy two years ago. Um, right now that stock might not be a buy um, and it would be in the model portfolio, but I wouldn't want someone coming in today right. to buy that stock. So I prefer to have a, um, a guide on how to build the portfolio. And this everyone will have a little bit different portfolio depending on when they start. Um, but that way they're only buying at what we hope is the right time and not buying into something that's, you know, it's, it's trading at a reasonable value and it's a good, good hold, but it's not a a screaming buy right now.
0: Yeah. I think that's the other challenge of, of taking the value approach is that, um, you know, the, the entry prices aren't, aren't always, well, they're almost rarely going to be available uh, right at the time when, you know, if you've done your work and you're you've you're screened your stocks and you've you've uh, you've looked for underpriced uh, uh, situations, um, you you basically have to hold cash until there's some sort of market dislocation that you can take advantage of to to jump in. Um, and I I've, I've found that again, uh, it's difficult psychologically. It's difficult when you're especially in this last bull run that we've had. You know, I mean, stocks have been up for. Uh, Eight years in a row, uh, and you know it's it's kind of like oh you know the investor psychology is I'm missing the boat. Uh, I can't just hold cash. I just can't can't just hold cash. I got to get involved, Um, and so that's that's very difficult thing for an individual investor to uh, to come to grips with. So um, so okay, so back to building a uh, high growth dividend portfolio. So. Um, what's sort of, uh, the, the easiest way for someone to get started? Let's say, uh, audience members is like, okay, I want to, I want to put some of these rules into practice. Uh, give us like the one-on-one, like how would you walk them through that process?
1: Sure. Uh, you know, first I'd say the, the ultimate goal that we're trying to do here is, is build a portfolio that's going to provide rising passive income over time. So that's kind of the, that's what we're going for. That's the purpose behind why we're doing this. Um, so hopefully you're going to get rising dividend income every year. and then how do you do that? You invest in stocks that have historically raised their dividend every year and are very likely to continue to do so and my favorite quick go to for that there's a list of stocks called the dividend aristocrats, and they're all stocks that have increased their dividend payments for at least twenty five years in a row so they've they've proven that you know over the great Recession over all the crazy stuff that's happened in the last 25 years, they've risen their, They've increased their dividend every year. Um, So they're typically really well-known. You call them like blue chip companies like Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Walmart, Exxon, Johnson and Johnson, companies like that. Um, And I would, I would recommend starting there. And, and from there looking for, if you want to do it really quickly, just look for the lowest uh, price earnings ratio, dividend Mm -hmm. aristocrat or the highest dividend dividend um would be a good place to start so you usually backtest 25
0: years to to come up with these with the with this universe
1: well that that particular list is actually um maintained by s&p they track it so you can look at the performance of it um of what s&p is tracking it's actually been fantastic it's outperformed the S&P 500, <laughs> I guess that's getting a little confusing. Um, it's outperformed, you know, like the, the broad US market by about two percentage points a year over the last decade and has done so with lower volatility, um, wow. which is very uncommon. That's pretty impressive. So that's a good
0: sort of base to, uh, to get in on. And like you said, I guess you screen for, uh, well, after, from that list, I guess you screen for the cheapest uh, if you really are just itching to get into right now, yeah, if uh, you know, I, I like I actually like the 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 analogy you used at the very beginning when you when you just talked about this segment of of passive income, right? Because I think that that kind of uh, most investors they don't they don't think of it as passive income. They they think of it as more like active income. Like I got to trade, I got to make money. And um, but if you again, uh, and they, that falls in line with sort of the value approach, if you can set up and construct the portfolio in the right way, then yes, it it is a very good source of passive income. Um, Now, you know, obviously what you do with that income is, is up to you. But I mean, I imagine you recommend just reinvesting that into those names.
1: Uh, Yes. I I recommend, you know, there's a lot of people that really like dividend reinvestment plans where the dividend is reinvested back into the stock that pays it. I prefer to, reinvest dividends into whatever my best idea is at the time um so not dividend reinvesting but it's kind of splitting hairs you know either way it works well yeah, yeah. um yeah but it depends on on what phase of your life you're in you know if you're younger and looking to build your portfolio you definitely want to reinvest those dividends but if you're retired you know it's probably something you're living on right Okay. And then so outside of that
0: universe, um, and that, that's a pretty broad, like a pretty good sector uh, diversified uh, list. Um, outside of that list, where, what would you recommend for people to start uh, looking for?
1: Um, just thought um, on a broad level, look for businesses that you can, you know, stocks where you understand the business model and that it has proven itself over a long time. So like Snapchat, you know, yeah, they had that idea not too long ago. You know, maybe maybe it'll be a, a great great buy and you'll make a ton of money, but they really haven't proven that they can last over a long period of time. Um, where where uh, you know Walmart probably has. Right. Um, so that's the what I'd look for. So now you actually bring up another good point because uh,
0: with um, and and this is this is something that's come up somewhat recently, but with innovation and technology a lot of these uh, older businesses are looking uh, or are under threat of being disrupted um, and a lot of them are actually changing the, their business models like we've seen the likes of Amazon and, th- and these types of companies that have uh, you know pivoted or not pivoted but expanded their offerings um, so what what risks are there that some of these uh, dividend aristocrats might actually You know, this might be the end of them, or they might get phased out, or will they continue to outperform?
1: Do you think in the long run? I would say that there's there's always risk in investing, and there are dividend aristocrats that used or there there are stocks that used to be dividend aristocrats and aren't anymore. I believe Bank of America used to be one, Um, and Chase Chase Bank cut its dividend in the financial crisis. Those are two examples. Um, But if you look back at the history of the dividend aristocrats index they rarely go out of business, um, and they rarely cut their dividend. Um, but of course there are risks and you do have to look at that. Um, but a lot of times people will extrapolate like, like Amazon and Walmart is a very interesting example. I was reading about that yesterday. Um, you know, Amazon, the story has been that Amazon's going to crush retailers and Mm -hmm. we're we're only going to shop online, Yeah, Uh, I, I guess. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> and you see that Amazon they're building bookstores now physical bookstores it mm-hmm. just purchased whole foods yep you know <laughs> last time i went to whole foods there they're not they're not on the internet they i mean they are but you know they're they're real stores mm-hmm. um so you are seeing companies like Amazon go to a a brick and mortar approach and then you see Walmart you know they acquired jet um and they're going to a uh, combined they call it the omni-channel approach um so yeah these are businesses they all businesses have to evolve over time um and you have to look at well what's in the case of walmart and amazon uh walmart has i believe it's four times the revenue of amazon um and it makes billions of dollars a year amazon struggles to be profitable and you know they're plowing everything back into growth so there's arguments a lot of arguments being made there but the Walmart business model is extremely profitable. Their earnings are now, I mean, their revenues are growing again in the US, which is something that people didn't think would happen or were very Mm -hmm. nervous about. And they've adapted just as they've adapted over the last, um, I believe they've been around about 50 years. Um, So that's that's a kind of segmenting or going into a slightly different topic. There's a really interesting thing called the Lindy effect. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: it says that it's a kind of a rule of thumb that for, for non-biological or things or basically ideas, businesses, things that don't degrade over time. The average expected lifetime is twice how, how long it's been around. So if a stock's been around 50 years, you'd expect the business to last a total of a hundred years. Um, And it's a shorthand way of saying that things that have proven themselves are more likely to be around in the future than things that haven't proven themselves, even if they're young and exciting. And that's kind of the, the mental model that, uh, I go with that share dividend. That's pretty interesting. Um, so,
0: so okay, so um, we, you were talking about cut, like uh, the, the rare occasion that some of these aristocrat, uh, dividend aristocrat stocks cut their dividends. Now, is that a, to you, is that a uh, sell signal immediately or is it like a watch list, a red flag that that you monitor?
1: It's not an immediate sell, but it's probably going to sell at some point. And it, I look at the reason for the dividend cut. Um, a, a good example recently... Conoco Phillips, which it's not a dividend aristocrat, but it had, it had been like over 25 years where it hadn't cut its dividend and it cut its dividend, I think a uh, two year, a year or two years ago. Um, and I recommended that it be sold, but not until oil prices rebound because the reason it cut its dividend was nothing to do with the, the business itself. It's just oil prices fell a lot lower than anyone expected for a lot mm. longer and they couldn't pay their full dividend. And so, in that case, you know, you can probably be comfortable holding it until those oil prices rebound I see that's interesting too uh,
0: yeah so so on the, the on that same topic, um you know some of the i just want to talk about some of the red flags that that y- you know we can look out for when we're screening for for these dividend stocks high growth dividend stocks you know I mean obviously, if a company is paying too high of a dividend that's not sustainable um, that is a is is you know, pretty. It's kind of a red flag because I mean, you know that it could be a one-hit wonder or 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 just a one-off. Um, what are some some other uh, red flags or pitfalls that dividend investors uh, encounter that maybe you can talk about?
1: Sure. I mean, the the main, the quickest way to to tell if a, a dividend's safe or not, and there's a lot more to it than this. But look at the payout ratio, mm-hmm. um, which is just the dividend divided by earnings. So, you know, if a stock has a payout ratio of 25%, it's only paying $1 out of every $4 of earnings as dividends. Um, So even if earnings fell 50%, the stock wouldn't even, or the company wouldn't even worry about paying its dividend. It would be fine. Um, So a low payout ratio is, there's going to be a lot of safety there. Uh, Something to look out for is a high payout ratio. A payout ratio of 100% means the dividend isn't sustained by earnings, So Mm -hmm. something's got to change. Either the company needs to make more money or it's going to cut its dividend at some point. It's not going to just borrow money indefinitely to pay its dividend. Um, So a high payout ratio is certainly something to look out for. What is the threshold there that you usually use as a benchmark? I don't have a specific threshold because it does depend on the the industry. Um, And just some examples are if you look at like a Philip Morris or Altria, they have very high payout ratios, eighty percent, ninety percent, but their earnings are unbelievably stable because their right. customer base is um, pretty, pretty stable. So they can maintain that, and they have for a long time. Um, but if if you saw like an oil and gas company, or you know, an oil exploration company that had a ninety percent payout ratio when when oil was really high, you're probably going to see a dividend cut.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think that's that's well, it goes back to the long term uh, mentality and, and the need that to actually be following these companies actively and watching them, uh, watching the history of it, studying it and not just chasing that dividend yield as a one off, um, which a lot of investors end up doing, you know, they'll just rotate out of uh, underperforming names and just chase yield. And, uh, and without even looking at the fundamentals or maybe even any of the history as to why the payout ratio was so high, it could have been a, I don't know, a corporate action that a one-off corporate action that uh, gave them, gave them a higher payout for, for that year or that quarter that uh, was not sustainable and not replicable in the future. Um, so, so that's uh, again, um, <laughs> long-term investing, that mindset uh, and, and doing your work and just being aware of knowing these companies, uh, you know, it it just comes down to it. You know, you can't just come into the markets and try to trade and try to make a quick win. Um, I, I think that's sort of the underlying theme. Um, so as far as, uh, we talked a little bit about this, but diversification, um, is there any sort of sector preferences or, um, you know, a lot of, on the institutional side, a lot of fund managers, um, you know, they, they have their different uh, investing styles or, or uh, mandates um, or sector specializations. Um, how do you sort of break down the investing universe?
1: You know, I, I look at sectors, but I, I look, I'm a bottom-up investor. So at the end of the day, I look for whatever looks like the best individual stock uh, rather than what sector it's in. And then, you know, you try to try to have some diversification among sectors. You don't want a portfolio that's just very, very heavily into one sector, but it, it doesn't bother me to go well overweight any one sector. And then what's interesting is going back to the dividend aristocrats, there's only 51 dividend aristocrats, but that index is heavily overweight consumer defensive stocks and healthcare stocks. Mm. And so there are sectors that have Outperformed other sectors over long periods of times, and those are the the consumer staples slash consumer defensive, and the the healthcare sectors. Um, and so that to me that's very interesting. And you do see over time, I think you'll see a higher concentration of stocks from those sectors if you're looking for really stable dividend growth stocks. Speaking
0: of sort of diversification, uh, you know a, a topic that's quite uh, popular amongst investors is asset allocation uh, across asset classes. and um, do you look at anything outside of equities as far as you know for your portfolio allocation?
1: I personally don't. Um, it, it absolutely depends on your, your risk tolerances um, you know, and just broadly speaking, Equities have outperformed other asset classes over over the long run, um, but of course, you can really reduce your volatility by investing in other asset classes. But for me, I focus on equities, um, so I that's really where I put my focus.
0: The uh, so another again, you know, it's it's um, I think another tenet of value investing is trying to uh, to. Well, it's, not, it's, it's more of a benefit, I would think, is that you are able to actually filter out a lot of the uh, noise that comes from, you know, macro and, and geopolitical events and this sort of thing. You know, we just talked about earlier how the markets have been on this sort of eight year bull run. Uh, a lot of people are are very wary about uh, where we're sitting right now, especially in US equity markets. Um, you know, with our new administration, obviously, and there's, you know, a lot of macro data points and headwinds coming up for from a, you know, value slash high dividend uh, investor standpoints, um, do you even care? <laughs> you know, I mean, is it something where you're kind of like, um, oh, I mean, obviously, for value investors, I think that's, we, you know, you get you, you You get happy when there is market dislocation because that is an entry point that that it gives you an opportunity um, but what 's your personal sort of uh, style when when you 're sort of lo- hearing news flow and this sort of stuff is is funny because you can 't ignore it when as an investor but at the same time it 's how you manage it uh, that will affect your your portfolio
1: yeah absolutely uh, i I try not to pay attention to the too many of the news stories or financial news in general um, other than whatever stock I'm researching. I'd like to know the opinion on it. Uh, but yeah, the market's incredibly overvalued in my opinion, the U S market, uh, the average Historical price to earnings ratio of the S and P 500 is like 15.6 or 15.7 and it's at 24 right now. So we're, we're way way beyond what's normal. And you know, there, part of that is that interest rates are so low, but now interest rates are starting to rise so that there's a lot of, I can't see someone who's buying a broad US index right now doing, getting that 9% a year that you know some studies cite over the next several years. I, I can't see how that's possible um, with markets valued the way they are. And that, like you said, we've been in a bull market since, it's gone basically straight up since March of 2009. Mm-hmm. So we, we've been it's been a long time since really anything's happened negatively. And it really does make um finding companies that are just trading close to their historical average valuation difficult, let alone undervalued. Um, I don't think the dividend aristocrats are really dividend gristars in general. There are very few names that I'm comfortable with right now. They're still out there, but it's not it's not, um, like you can just go and just buy, well I'll pick, you know, 10 stocks at random and we'll probably be doing pretty well here is it's more difficult now than at any point I can remember.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A, a lot of investors are nervous and trying to figure out, uh, what could actually bring this market down. Um, and so it's, it's very interesting times where we're, we're sitting at, on the, at the front seat, the forefront of this. Um, so what's, uh, what are a couple, uh, ideas that are or names or, or sectors that, that you might still think there is some room for growth or, or potential for investment at this point where we're sitting right now?
1: Sure. Um, the, the oil, the energy industry, there's still some, some value to be found there just because oil prices are pretty low um, with the, the stronger names there that are able to withstand it. Uh, and then you have to look for, for, I like to look for really strong businesses that have been around a long time that they're, how they have some temporary trouble. Um, and a couple good examples of those are WW Granger, which is they, they're the, I believe the global leader in the MRO like maintenance repair industry. So they basically distribute, uh, parts. Um, their stock has declined from, I think around 220 or $240 a share, uh, they've gone down like 30, 40%. Um, and they're still very profitable. They just haven't really been growing. I um, mean, they've slightly declined. And the reason is because if you look look behind, well, like why did this happen? They were basically, their margins were just too high. They got too greedy. And they had to cut their margins a little bit to remain competitive. But they're still they still have solid long-term growth prospects. So that's an example of a company that, it's the stock's really beaten down right now it looks like a good value and i think five or ten years from now it'll be be worth a lot more than it is now and and it's a dividend aristocrat as well so it raises dividends for i can't remember off the top of my head but well over 25 years Wow. so ww granger is one of my my favorites cool. right now um i like target a lot too targets another large u.s retailer it's a dividend aristocrat that's really beaten down alpha fears of Amazon mm-hmm. um, and if it can compete. And it's, it's growing its um, e-commerce business at about 30% a year. So it has a real fast growth there. They're redoing their stores. And it's still, again, extremely profitable. So what, you lo- what I look for is a company that's returning a lot of money to shareholders. It's extremely profitable. And something's happened to push that price down. And Target and WW Granger are two examples of that. Awesome. Thanks for sharing those,
0: uh, thanks for sharing those with the audience. Um, cool, man. I, I, I appreciate your, uh, your, your thoughts on dividend investing. Uh, I think it's very insightful. Um, let's talk about, uh, your, your, your site for a minute. Sure. Dividend, you said you've been up and running for uh, around three years. Is that right? Um, what uh, I know you, you write, um, you write quite frequently on the site. Uh, there's a lot of free articles that you put out. Um, are there, and there's, there's some, uh, there's some more uh, detailed stuff that, that you can pay for, right? What, what offerings that you, do you have that could help uh, investors or, or audience members that want to get involved in uh, dividend investing?
1: Sure. Well, the, yeah, the site's a sheer dividend and um, we, do have a, a, we do a tremendous amount of free content on there. Pretty much almost everything you see on there is free. We do um, several articles a week, typically writing up um, a high-quality dividend stock um, with those articles or covering just uh, some aspect of dividend growth investing. So it's a good resource to learn more about it and learn the reasons behind things and how to how to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the paid products we offer, we have the Sure Dividend Newsletter, which looks for the high-quality dividend growth stocks, um, which is what we've been talking about. And then we have the Sure Retirement Newsletter, which... That was created that newsletter because so many readers were saying, you know, I, I like these dividend growth stocks, but I need high yields now because I'm (laughs) in retirement and I don't want to, I'm not looking to grow my dividends over, you know, 20 years. I, I just want high yield now. Right. Um, And the sure retirement newsletter looks for, um, stocks with 5% plus yields, uh, that are also expected to grow over time. So it's a different universe of, of stocks. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, but I I really like your
0: your site by the way because it's really clean. Uh, I don't know if uh, if if that was intentional, but it's like very easy to read. Uh, unlike uh, probably ninety nine percent of the financial publication sites out there, uh, which is what uh, it was. It's very pleasing to read your site, and you're 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 very concise and articulate with uh, with how you write. So I enjoy reading it um, and. Uh, well, Ben, it's been it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, and thanks for uh, for sharing your insights and thoughts on dividend investing. Where's the best place that our audience members can find you, follow you, or connect with you if they want to learn a little bit more about dividend investing?
1: Sure, I mean on Twitter, I'm at sure Uh SureDividend.com is is my website, and if you if you download download a list there or opt to receive our updates. I'm in contact with a lot of uh, my readers personally. So if, if you want to email me and ask me a question, I do a lot of that every day. That's so awesome. That's the best way to reach me really is email. Great. Thanks for uh, opening up and
0: offering that. We appreciate it. Um, yeah. Appreciate your time and, uh, and all the best, man.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. Take care.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All of the show notes and the links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next exciting episode of The J Kim Show. As always, I'd love to hear your questions, comments, or future guest suggestions. You can find me on Twitter at @jkimmer. That's J A Y K I M M E R. See you in the next episode.